Hey guys, this is Don Airy from Deep Purple and you are listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 246, Coliseum 2, Strange New Flesh. And coming to you from the frostbitten suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John Porch Pirate Matola. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Mm. Uh, and coming to us from the Great White North in the f- also frostbitten uh, land of Quebec is the one, the only Ian de Rosier. Also known as the Prague Frog. The Prague Frog, that's right. <laughs> we couldn't do a Prague episode without, without <laughs> having you on. Yes, y- years ago, change your name to the Prague Frog on um, yeah. Twitter, but then you changed Twitter. it back to the Rock Frog, and I was like, the that's Rock not... Frog and... Yeah, you gotta go with the Prague Frog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so for, for once, John is outnumbered by the French Canadians on this episode. Yes. Oh if, well, I guess, I guess technically it's even because I'm half French Canadian, half Italian, so it's like a dead split. Ooh, yeah. Good. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Ooh. So you won't need any backups. So, <laughs> all right. But you got that French last name. So, yeah, I don't it's know true. If it's the scales. I can, yes. I can hide my Italian heritage easier than my French Canadian heritage. True. Um, but yes, uh, Ian, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone that listens to the show has heard your name on basically on almost every episode. Yeah, during- the three dollar something, <laughs> the three dollar something <laughs> tier. I don't remember yeah. either, unless the show. We, don't know. we, we have to go through the whole jingle to know. Like, <laughs> exactly. We have to read the well, whole thing. You're, you're welcome. Thank you for the uh, invite. Yeah, yeah. We, we had, uh, you know, we, we we've talked about this album. Uh, on and off over the years and this particular yep. band and, and, and stuff and, and you're, um, you know, we'll get into that in a little bit about uh, why we asked you to be on this episode. Um, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, well, I won't tell anybody yet. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, but before we do, getting right into it, uh, some ways you can support our show. Uh, Deep Purple Podcast is 100% listener supported and ad free, so... If you receive some value from our show on a weekly basis, consider giving us some value back. Uh, one way you can do so is by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also buy some merch at our Etsy store or become a patron on Patreon or on PayPal for as little as $1 a month. Help support the show. The spreadsheet has been made. Another spreadsheet has been made for how to, um, for all the parts for the new computer. So I've already purchased a few of them. They're right back here because I, I got some uh, gift cards for my birthday from Amazon. Um, and then, yeah, I'm, I've asked for some parts uh, for Christmas and I'm going to purchase all the rest. And then hopefully we'll have a new computer up and running uh, shortly. Uh, this is our first new show of the year, so hopefully by February or so, maybe we'll have a new a new system, which will mean absolutely nothing and will probably not affect your listening experience <laughs> at all, but it will drastically improve the 
process on our end. So um, you can also donate on Cash App at dollar sign DPPOD or support us on Kofi. Uh, so speaking of the wonderful people that support our show, um, at the In Memoriam tier, the late Gerald, Jerry, Kelly, and family, thank you so much for their support. At the $25 Uncommon Man tier, we have Ovis, Nakvi, and Purple Maniac. And at the 15 Squid tier, we have Alan... Oh my goodness. And then <laughs> I think I have another channel open because I heard that in double double delay stereo. So turning that off. At the $10 Good Doctor tier, we have none other than Dr. Mike Catan. At the Turn It Up to $11 tier, Clay Wambacher, Frank Teelgard Mortensen, Mickel Steen, and Will Porter, PhDPP. And at the $10 Someone Came tier, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos, Better Call Saul Evans, Peter from Illinois. And at the Husoween by 2033 tier, now that it's 2024, we have none other than Fielding Fowler. All right. Well, thank you to all of you for your support of the Deep Purple Podcast. I forgot to share my audio again, didn't I? Yeah, that's why I'm not <laughs> laughing this time. <laughs> Everybody, everybody's going to be confused. Uh, like, John doesn't think it's funny anymore? No, no. Sorry. No, I think it's hilarious. Sorry sorry to all of our patrons on, on YouTube. I, I, I missed it. We, have, we didn't record last week, so um, I'm completely out of practice. The jingles <laughs> are going to be a mess, but... Um, I should have them all. I should have that all figured out for later on in the show. Um, okay. And apologies to our YouTube video. I know there's not a lot of YouTube listeners, but uh, I don't mean to to neglect you. But that's just where we're at. Um, okay. Uh, also, some upcoming shows this year, I can say. We have Glenn Hughes at the Arcata in St. Charles, Illinois. I will be there. John may be there, and I've got extra tickets, so if anybody would like to purchase one, just let me know. Uh, I got some extra tickets, figuring there'd be some patrons who would like to join us. Uh, they're playing with Enough's Enough and Bad Marriage, um, and it's also on John's birthday, so if he's there, whether he's there or not, uh, somebody bring a birthday cake. Then, uh, new breaking news, Vi Satriani tour. I also bought tickets for that, and that's going to be at Chicago Theater in Chicago, Illinois, obviously. Um, that's on April 18th, 2004. So, um, very excited to... Uh, 2024. We're not going to go back in time. Oh, did I say 2023? <laughs> you said 2004. Oh, 2004. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> we're going back 20 years. Oh, oh no, no. We're not going back in time. Um, but, yeah, the, 2024, um, they will be playing uh, the first time they've been on tour together, just the two of them. So, that should be really exciting. Hmm. Um, that that I that I'll consider going to. Yeah, that'll be that'll be really cool. Um, okay, so before we get into everything, first of all, check out deepdivepodcastnetwork.com for like-minded shows. And then um I have a, a Christmas gift here. This is comes to us from uh our listener Craig Smith. Um here's the and I told him I'd open it on the show so we could have a real-time reaction. So here it is. It says Nate. And there's a letter inside. All right, let's see what this says. All right. Hi, Nate. Here's a present for you. This was taken by me in October 1980 on the Glory Road Tour. I was 20 years old and three years into a career as a professional photographer. I have no idea how I managed to avoid camera shake. This was the ultimate meet your hero. The band were due to play at Preston Guildhall in the evening. At lunchtime, Gillen went to the 
record store next to the venue and signed just about anything put in front of him. My business hmm. partner and I tagged along to the sound check and managed to take a series of photos before heading back to our laboratory to process the negatives. We then printed off around a dozen 20 by 16 prints. The plan was to rush back to the venue and try to get them signed. It's crazy to think that we just walked through the stage door without anyone questioning who we were. We ended up get, uh, in the bar directly behind the stage entrance where the band were hanging out. Uh, one of the supporting bands was White Spirit, featuring future Gillen guitarist Yannick Gers. However, there was no sign of Ian Gillen. John McCoy was very impressed with the shots we took and asked if we would send him a copy to Ian's King, Kingsway Recorder studio for him to collect after the tour was over. Mick Underwood was sat down in a large, uh, was sat downing a large whiskey. Bernie Torme told us that Gillen would be signing again after the gig. Sure enough, about a half an hour after the encore, he came and spent the best part of an hour chatting. I think he was a bit taken aback to see all the photos we took only a few hours previous. Regards, Craig. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to open this up very carefully here. So where different things were back then. Now you won't even go to the meet and greets. I know, right? All right. Let's get this guy open. Some of those realistic sounds of an op- opening box. All right. I don't hear anything. You, your noise oh, gate is beautiful. It's, uh, you'll hear it on the audio feed. Oh my goodness. Wow, look at that. That's an awesome picture of Ian Gillen. Oh, Ooh. my favorite yeah. look of Gillen. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and it's and it's signed. It says cheers, Ian Gillen. Nice. Wow. Look at that. That's awesome. Wow. That Very is cool. an unbelievably uh, generous gift. Thank you so much, Craig. Um, I've been holding on to that one for a little bit, waiting for. Um, we took a we took a few weeks off, so. Um, wow, that's amazing! Thank you so much, Craig. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a frame for that. Too sweet, and hang that up right behind me. <laughs> Plus, it's like it's like a one of a kind picture too. Nobody's ever seen that picture. That's awesome. Just remember too. Um, that, uh, you know, if any of your kids um, wind up not being into Deep Purple, who to leave all your shit to? <laughs> you assume that I'm you're going to live... I'm reaping the benefits of any of this stuff. I don't have possession of any of them. That's right. I'll send it over to Ian when I die. <laughs> no, what were you talking about? I think me. we're all... You guys are, uh, you know, about a year older than me or so, or maybe a little bit more. Um, so there's no assuming that you're going to outlive me, John. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, I you probably will because you anyway. look you look considerably younger than me, and you probably right. health wise are considerably younger than me. <laughs> well, yeah, I've got sure. the physique and okay. the uh, mental acuity of a of a of a somebody in their late nineties. <laughs> oh, come oh, on! Stop it! <laughs> stop wow, it! That, that is amazing. That's a, and that's just a really yeah, beautiful no, that's, quality very, shot. Very so cool. Very I'm gonna, cool. That's uh, very cool. Thank you so much again, Craig. That's that's incredible. All right. So here we are. Coliseum 2. So we, we've touched on them a few times over the years. Um, a very early project of uh, Mr. Don Airy. Um, so I, I think I know I know a little bit from talking with Ian, and I'm pretty sure I know John's uh, b- background. But Ian, why don't you t- take us through a little bit about what your history is with this album? When did you discover it? Um, what, what what does it mean to you? Uh, how has it treated you over the years? All that stuff. It's it's an album I discovered nearly 30 years ago. Wow. When I 
went deep into Prague rock. Uh, uh, it was recommended because of all the players on it, but mostly because I was already um, listening to uh, Neil Murray uh, on National Health first oh, album. Oh yes, yes. That's Neil here. Oh, it's kind of a <laughs> sorry for the glare, but it's kind of uh -huh. a. English jazz rock, and uh, so yeah, I was I was recommended the, this album and I bought it, and I can't say that the first time I listened to it, I really took to it because of the singer. <laughs> okay, but the first song, of course, is instrumental. So I've been into this song for a very very long time, but with the years, of course. Uh, listen to the whole album, and now I'm a very, very big fan of of the album and the band because they have two other albums that are for proggers or jazz rocker, maybe even better than this one. The other two, so wow. yeah. So, so I think I've heard of National Health before, and I hadn't thought about it in a while. But yes. it must have been you that told me about them on oh, Twitter sure. <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I remember that album cover, and I, I don't know if I checked it out, but I'm, I'm going to have to dive back into that and check yeah, it out. It's, 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 I would say, typical British jazz rock. Uh, he's only on the first one, like Coliseum. Mm -hmm, yeah. So uh, it's very, 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 I think his performance on this National Health album is even greater than on this one. Wow. And yeah, think, he has so, more. He has more, more place to breathe. Uh, I, I think uh, on the national death record. So yeah. this album is almost fifty years old. Forty-eight years this year. Uh, yeah, for it's strange. This one is like seventy-six, right? Yeah, the Coliseum. In Coliseum, one, yeah. yeah. All right. So um, they they reissued it in twenty twelve, and I've got the the yes. CD version here. And, as excellent you do. esoteric recording. And it's um, very, very good reissue label. And um, they've got uh, a bunch of bonus tracks um, yep. on on both CDs. It's a two CD set. Yep. And um, there's some great uh, liner notes by Malcolm Dome. Um, but yeah, my my exposure to it is relatively minimal. I've listened, I've listened to it a couple times in the background. Mm -hmm. Nothing like super super focused. I've seen some of their live performances on YouTube and. Um, and the things most, probably most of it has been what we've done on the show and we've covered kind of the backgrounds of, of different musicians. Um, John, do you have any, I, I know you've heard it a couple times on the show, but other than that, do you have any exposure to Coliseum too? Uh, no, I don't. So this will be my first time hearing it through. Yeah. And I would, I would probably consider myself in that same boat in that I don't think I've, I haven't sat and really listened to it. It's usually like, oh, that's a cool album. And I put it on and then who knows what happens. The kids are fighting or whatever's going on. And, you know, I, I hear bits and pieces. I'm most familiar yeah. with the opening track. I've heard that yeah. like uh, a few times. Um, but it's, it's a relatively short album. Uh, the songs are long, but there's six songs, three on the first side, three on the second side. Um and uh, yeah, so a little bit of a, a background and history on it. And I uh, get most of this from the Gary Moore biography, which I didn't know existed until pretty recently. So I um, I uh, picked it up because I figured it's going to really come in handy for um, future episodes. 
and uh, it's got some... Gary Moore is one of those guitarists who I have only kind of dipped my toes into exploring, um, but I've, but just every every time I hear something new by him or hear something about him, I'm, I'm always super, super impressed with his his playing and his passion. And I know that uh, Don Airy and the interviews that we've seen with him and um, he's always speaks very highly of Gary Moore, both as a friend and as a musician, but on the back of the cover of this, it's got quotes from Kirk Hammett, Jack Bruce, Vivian Campbell, and Joe Bonamassa. Um, and that is just a tiny, tiny portion of a list of the guitarists who rank Gary Moore as being just one of the all time greats. Um, uh, who has had a lot of crossovers with the various uh, Deep yeah. Purple folks, including as we'll get into Ian Pace uh, in later years. As uh, you know, if maybe it's premature, but Ian, if you'll join us for future uh, <laughs> Coliseum episodes, well, not yeah, um, sure. Ian Pace, not in Coliseum, but um, if we cover any other Coliseum stuff, then uh, yes, yes, um, you you might just lock yourself into being the Coliseum guy. The, I'm gonna replace Clay for the uh, jazz rock specialist. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> He's more fusion than jazz rock, yeah. but but yeah. And I think when vocals are introduced, so yeah, it's gonna have to be your uh, your specialty. Um. So yeah. So um, John Heisman had previously been with a band called Tempest. Uh, the band yes. had two albums before breaking up. Um, and Tempest was uh, speaking of jazz rock. I mean, that had Alan Holdsworth in it. Yeah. Who is uh. Speaking of being ranked highly, just one of the, you know, he's, if you're talking to like a serious guitar player, Alan Holdsworth always gets mentioned as just being someone who is on a completely different planet than everybody else as far as his playing and his technique and his style. Um, so John Heisman has no uh, trouble linking up with amazing guitar greats. Um, but they, uh, they broke up. There had previously been a band called Coliseum. That was together from 68 to 71. Um, Coliseum 2 was intended to be more jazz fusion based. Um, and the only member that they kind of decided on right away was Gary Moore. Um, so Gary had uh, been at a Tempest show at the end of April 1974, at one of their last gigs at the Marquee. And he went backstage and suggested that Heisman, uh, that he and Heisman form a band. I mean, that's you got to have some really... Uh, good confidence to just watch a band and then just go backstage and be like, Hey, you, you and me, we should be in a band, you know, you, the guy that's playing with Alan and Holdsworth. Let's go. Um, uh, they hadn't solidified everything quite yet. Uh, but they met again at, they did this rock version of Peter and the Wolf and they met there and, uh, talked a little bit more about forming the band. Um, and then they went off to Germany and they played with the United jazz and rock ensemble. Um, a group of highly trained uh, musicians. Gary said he was very nervous about playing with them because he was like one of the only ones there that couldn't read music. Um, Heisman called more uh, more of a modern player than a blues player, but ranked him, he said, higher than Clapton for that reason. He said uh, that Gary Moore was a true original. Um, and Gary said in an interview with Sounds Magazine, he said, the first time I played with John, I almost fell through the floor. He played everything I've always heard in my head, everything that I thought a drummer should play, and a lot more besides. It was just astonishing. Uh, so the goal here was to fuse strong songs and vocals with technical jazz rock. Gary said that the band, uh, bands that he had a, a great jazz fusion background and bands with great vocalists, but no one was doing both. So he was like, let's try to be the first jazz fusion band that's not just instrumental, but we can fuse some vocals into it. They got a loan of 7,000 pounds. They didn't have a, any gigs or a manager, and then they used that to pay Gary Moore 10 pounds a week. So I don't know, adjusted for inflation, what that is, but it's probably not a lot. Um, 
They, rehe- they rehearsed in a studio in London. Um, Mark Clark and Graham Bell were brought in, uh, but Mark left shortly thereafter to join Uriah Heep's keyboardist Glenn Hensley. I'm sorry, Ken Hensley. And Graham Bell left soft, uh, right after that. Andy Pyle also played with them briefly. So eventually they found a singer, Mike Stars, but they struggled to find a keyboard player um, until... Uh, uh, they met Don Airy. So in April or May of 75, John and Gary found Don Airy because he had been playing with Cozy Powell's Hammer with Neil Murray. And Neil says to the story about how he was auditioning for bands, but he had like a short scale bass. Um, so he said nobody took him seriously. And probably it was amplified by the fact that he's a really tall, kind of skinny guy. He's playing this little, little bass. He probably looked kind of like he was playing a ukulele. <laughs> so nobody, <laughs> so people were like, who's this guy? Um, but then he said he was able to somehow scrounge up a, a real full scale bass. And then he said he, he was able to get the gig with, um, uh, with this band. Um, so, Heisman went to Jerry Braun, who had uh, financed Tempest to get support for the new project. And up until this point, the band was being called Ghosts. And Braun said that that had to change, and he wanted him to use Coliseum 2 to cash in on the, the notoriety of the band Coliseum. Uh, so they agreed to change the name to that. And then according to Harry Shapiro in the, in the Gary Moore book, um, it, this album was recorded between August and January, although uh, on Wikipedia it says, like, winter of 75 and in 76 but i'm gonna assume that harry shapiro did a little more research and that those dates are accurate so um so there you go uh this was recorded at jerry bronze studio on bronze records uh roundhouse recording studios is the name of it and this is the same studio that yaria heap recorded very heavy very humble um and you'll see some kind of connections with Uriah Heep on, uh, throughout Coliseum, but especially on this album. Um, with Braun, too. He was the producer of uh, Heep and the manager, I think. Yep. Um, yeah, and then uh, Don Airy says that, this, that he feels like this is the time when Gary Moore's technique and playing style reached its peak. Um, was was at the time of this album and that he kind of he maintained that peak for a long time and he also compared uh, Gary Moore's playing style to Oscar Peterson who's the uh, famous piano player which is if um, you know anything about Peterson is a very high praise because he's I know I have a friend who's um, an incredible piano player and does all this piano stuff and he just he's just amazing musician and I know he just he considers Oscar Peterson like a god. So as soon as he told me that, I was like, I got to go listen to some Oscar Peterson. And it's pretty amazing. <laughs> if you like jazz, he's unbelievable. And Peterson is from Montreal. Oh, that's right. He's Canadian. Yep. <laughs> oh, my God. The jazz frog. <laughs> <laughs> um, OK, so on the, in the band, as we stated, uh, some people we know, Neil Murray, obviously, Don Airy, Gary Moore. Um, and then John Heisman, who is kind of the band director, obviously, but, um, he, you know, we kind of gave a little bit of background on him. Um, Mike Stars was the vocalist. He had a solo album called Electric Garden, which is interesting because that was the name of my recording studio and that I opened in 2000 with my buddy. Um, and I didn't know this until the other day. <laughs> so I'm not stealing uh, uh, stuff from <laughs> Mike Stars. Um, then he went on to be in Luc- Lucifer's Friend, which is another band that Ian introduced me to. Um, yes. And another Uriah Heap connection because John Lawton. So John Lawton, no, he replaced John Lawton in Lucifer's Friend. Yeah. And then late 70s. 
And then when Lawton went to Araya, then when you Mike Stars yeah. went to uh, Lucifer's friend. Yeah. So and Lucifer's friend is really good stuff. I really enjoyed uh, uh, getting into their stuff. So um, technical stuff engineer Ashley Howe. Um, you'll see again the Uriah Heap. He worked with Uriah Heap Snafu, which is of course a Mickey Moody project. Um, Spencer Davis group with Eddie. He worked on one of the albums with Eddie Harden and uh, Ray Fennick. Babe Ruth. Uh, the, the Bernie Marsden band, Ken Headsley and Dave Byron. Um, and then the, another engineer, John Galen, again, who worked with a lot of the, the same folks as well as Billy Ocean, one of our uh, favorites on the show. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Trevor Halsey, who worked with a lot of the same artists as well as the Frampton, Peter Frampton. So there you go. Design, uh, of the album art by Ian Emmis, who did, Covers for Roger Waters, Duran Duran, Mike Oldfield, Pink Floyd, and Manfred Mann, and um, yeah, and that's that's uh, that's it. That's the uh, the lineup of everyone involved. And then here we go with uh, a little bit of uh, the album cover. There, what do you guys think of this album cover? Yes, love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. No. Yeah, I agree. I think it's um, it's it's pretty creative. It, it, it yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah, if you tell me that uh, this is a, a prog album cover, it's like I can see it. <laughs> yeah, and it's got the uh, it's like the guys are kind of skeleton. Well, some of them are kind of skeletons, but made of metal. Yeah, like, robotic skeletons. And they're they're playing yeah. on like it looks like a a ship, like a wooden ship that is like sailing through the air or something. Or some sort yeah. of wooden platform, and you've got the um, the one all the way at the left kind of looks like Rosie from the Jetsons. I don't know if that's supposed to be John Heisman or the drummer, but yeah. it looks like looks. It reminds me of Rosie, like a place for everything and everything in its place. Um, you've got the bass player, which is like his head is kind of like the the head of a fiddle or a bass. Yeah. <clears throat> um the weird like kind of keyboard guy that's playing himself. The singer that looks kind of like a robotic version of Cy Snoodles and the remastered Star Wars, uh, the big oh gaping, gaping mouth. <laughs> and then the awesome, uh, weird. It's funny. The, uh, <laughs> the singer's hair kind of looks like my little poof from my microphone here. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't uh, it? it looks like it's kind of like you know it's got it's got like the salt and pepper stink. look, and it's so I don't know if they were trying to emulate the um well, the guys it's a in clear the band. Reference, uh, yeah, it's a clear reference. Uh, yeah, um, but I don't know I mean, what yeah. they. It obviously doesn't look like any of them, but it's obviously the, no, the no. five components of the band. I kind of feel like uh, if. If the, the the if you told me if you took off that the writing and everything and you told me this was like a lost Aerosmith album cover from like the <laughs> late nineties it would be this totally it's like honking on Bobo Part Two or something <laughs> honking but, on I, you know what I mean it looks like yeah it looks it looks like it looks like something that Aerosmith would have done like uh, uh, in their in the past like thirty years but. Um, Taken as a, a standalone type of thing, it, it's pretty neat. It's it's one of the more creative album covers I've seen. I, I dig it. I like it. And the singer's got a big, giant Steven Tyler-sized mouth. 
See that yeah. I think that's what made me think about it. Yeah, and then <laughs> the guy to the right could be like Joe Perry, and you know, yep, I can see it. Dudes then, looks like a robot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's got a pretty, uh, pretty cool, definitely uh, interesting album cover. Um, back cover is kind of like a reminds me of like a uh, what do you call it? Like the the Who album <laughs> or the. Um, is it who's next or whatever that's got just the big monolith and um yeah yeah or, yeah okay okay yeah which which in turn it's reminds me of like 2001 space odyssey but it's like it's it's some sort of like speaker or something that's plugged in and you yeah. get that same wooden deck um nothing too crazy the album cover again the bronze label Ooh. that's the front and uh back uh, side and then the insert ha- is uh is are these kind of like two-tone black and not black and white pictures but like the posterized like straight black and white mm. um photos of the guys in the band uh don airy looking very don airy like but the other guys don't really come across as I, I don't know heisman enough i guess but the um gary moore doesn't look super like himself in that picture but uh it's a pretty cool effect there and then on the back you've got um lyrics to the songs as well as kind of one of those black and white versions of the album cover and then this kind of amused me because i was looking at the pictures on discogs and this came up and i was like what the hell is this like it's like they didn't get the like the whole photo didn't load and then when i zoomed in i was like oh somebody took a picture of like the spine of the record <laughs> so it's like oh. just this little <laughs> oh. line okay <laughs> was like very helpful you know um but yeah i've never seen that before on discogs but for some reason on this album they uh felt the need to include that so okay um yeah so that's uh that's the uh stuff behind the album uh do we want to want to get into the music here yes i mean we got to do it eventually so <laughs> there's no time like the present <laughs> Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. Before we do that, we need to thank our next level of patrons. Let me do that properly here so you can actually hear me. Um, Coming in at our foundation. Oh, no, wait, I skipped ahead. At our core level at the $7.77 Keep It Warm Rat tier, we have Michael Vader. At the $6.99 new nice price tier, we have Spike the Rock, Cat, and Sugar Tea. At the episode $6.66 tier, we have Steve Coldwell and Arthur Smith. And Anton Glaving and Charles Meadows. At the $6.65 Almost Evil tier, we have Kenny Wymore, Michael Bagford, and Richie Sucksmith. At the $5.99 the nice price tier, Robert Smith, Peter from Illinois, and Carl Helberg. And at the 60 kroner tier, we have Newt Morton Johansson. At the $5.55 what's going on here tier, we have Richard Fusey. And at the $5 money lender tier, John Convery, German Heidel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Alman, Alexi the Perfect Stranger Slepikoff, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, Scott Zern, Cynthia Doobie, Raf Kaff, and Coyote Bongwater. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. All right, now for real, I think we can get into the music. First track up, it's funny how they mentioned it, and I think in one of these things they were like, um, they're like, all songs are by 
Gary Moore, except, and then they list like every other song. Like this song's by Joni Mitchell. This song's by Moore and Heisman. This song's by Moore. So the first song is by Arian Moore. Uh, it's called The Dark Side of the Moog. That reminds me of like the beginning of like a Nintendo game. That part sounded like Lim is a Rob. <laughs> John Heisman. John Heisman is a monster. See how all of a sudden that guitar comes in in like the right channel there. And this song is in 13.8. Like Dream Theater before Dream Theater. <laughs> Although they haven't changed time signatures yet, so that wouldn't fly. Don area getting a showcase right off the bat here. On the Hammond. And then he moves from the Moog to the Hammond here. So he's playing piano, organ, and synth on this track. It's always funny to me to think like he went from stuff like this to, you know, four years later being Ozzy's keyboardist, yeah. which I'm sure was much more lucrative for him. Mm. But when you see what he was doing, <laughs> not even five years earlier, it's just funny because you could have had almost anybody filling in that role in Ozzy's band. Wow, this isn't what I would call accessible music to the public. no. Let's just say the line at the women's room at these concerts was probably not very long. This <laughs> <laughs> has got like a Zappa feel to it now.
It's the Don Henry, uh, Don Airy uh, show beginning. Oh, totally. Yeah, hmm. it means that they're setting him up right, right at the beginning of the album yeah. here. Yeah, I wouldn't it's have pegged him as somebody that would be making this kind of music. It's almost kind of like you know Steve Vai going from Zappa to David Lee Roth or whatever. You know, it's like. True. You you gotta at a certain point you gotta pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say DLR probably paid the bills. Yes, exactly. And I'm I'm sure you um you get the the creative fulfillment from having projects like this, but um and now White Snake and and I think he I think he said I I don't know if I remember saying maybe like he used that money to finance Passion of Warfare or something to what it was his passion project was. It reminds me of, um, I'm by no means a, a fusion aficionado, but you know, I had a, taken a look, dipped my toes into those waters and albums like, uh, was it the Hymn of the Seventh Planet, the, Ch- the Chick Corea, and uh, uh, Hymn of the Seventh Galaxy, Hymn of the Seventh Galaxy. I was close, yeah. <laughs> I Return have the album. Forever. But yeah, it reminds me of that kind of stuff where it's just like... Yep. That's kind of a clearer turbulence sort of fade out, so... Definitely making an opening statement. Yes. But now we need to talk about what do we think about that opening statement? John, do you want to kick it off? Let's see. He's fumbling with the spreadsheet. No, no fumbling. No, I see you. Just, I see just, you in it. Yep. Just waiting, waiting for the spreadsheet. <laughs> um Yeah, so this is uh this is this is pretty interesting. This is not in my wheelhouse, so I have to I have to think about it for a second. I actually was thinking about it. Um, um, I'll I'll give it a three um, because I uh, you know I, I obviously think that its musicianship is um, is there. It's it's what happened. No, I just I was just um, I'm I'm just. Pay no attention to the man behind the spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, the um oh I don't even know where I am anymore. I fixed it. Oh wait, no, I didn't. I broke it. <laughs> Just keep talking about the song, I'll fix it. <laughs> I see what you're trying to do. <laughs> the fix is in. The fix is in, yeah. I was just trying to fix the colors. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> what do you um <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's it's um, it's interesting. I think it's good musicianship, but it's definitely not my. Um, it's not a style that I can, um, that I can really um, understand. I think, mm-hmm. um, like um, um, audio 
audio wise. Like when I listen to it, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't groove to it because there's too much going on. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's cool. I think it's, you know, it's interesting to hear like, wow, that's Don Airy, Neil Murray. Just think of the other stuff that we heard him do. And then it was just like, wow, it makes you realize like, okay, they're like way better musicians than, than I thought they were. It's like, holy crap. And then they went on to do, you know, this other stuff, which is like still good, but it's not up to the, I think the proficiency of this, this is like musical charts and weird time signatures and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's like, uh, it's always been hard for me to get that kind of music, but um, you know, it doesn't mean it's bad. I just want to try and be fair with my ratings because I don't want to give like a low rating and on this album and give the impression I don't like it, but. Yeah, it's not your real house. That's okay. Yeah. Mm. Ian, what do you think of this one? Did we give six out of five? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had the feeling like that's so. where you were this, going. This is, this is my wheelhouse. Yeah. I, lo- mm. I love it when musician goes, uh, don't like this, and uh, I think it's when you compare them to Mahavishnu or even Return Forever at the same time, or mm-hmm. releasing their classic album. This track is kind of a you know textbook jazz rock song with lots of synths, a good guitar solo. Uh, the drumming is, I mean, Heisman is keeping everything together mm-hmm. with Neil behind. For me, it's at least 4.5. I would say it would be a five if Don would have used a more meaty and greedy organ sound. You know how I, how I love my Hammond organ? Yep. And I love them very meaty and green. So it's kind of a little bit too softy, but incredible playing and at least 4.5 out of five. Awesome. Um, I will give this one a four. I really like it. This is, um, I, I, I guess we're kind of completely, uh, I, I would definitely be the middle ground in this where I really dig this kind of stuff. Um, I don't have anywhere near the uh, experience or knowledge that Ian has with it, but it's something that I've, like I said, I've, I've dipped my toes into and I, I, there's certain things that I've really, really liked that I've heard in this genre. And this does remind me of one of those, to, to link it to the Deep Purple stuff, like... Um, Billy Cobham or Alphonse Muzan, this like powerhouse drummer, exactly. yep, really driving a rock band or a jazz rock yep. band, and um, has a lot of those same hallmarks. Very very busy drumming, but yet somehow able to hold this. That's just kind of controlled chaos because playing at that tempo, that many notes with more and airy lining up perfectly on those little runs, and you know having these ba- these drum fills all over the place. That's it's not easy to do, and they uh, they make it sound really good. So that is my ranking. Um, I think I think John is going to be surprised uh, with the other songs. Yes, and it's, 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 it's it, yeah, it's the introduction, and it's kind of o- o- over the top. But the rest, well, you'll hear. Well, it's funny because you go from. If I'm if I'm if I if I'm in 1976 and I just picked up this album and I'm listening to this track, and I'm gonna skip ahead a little and say, "Huh, what's up next?" Oh, a yeah. Joni Mitchell cover. Did not expect that. <laughs> so a ten minutes Joni Mitchell cover. Yeah, ten minute long Joni <laughs> Mitchell color cover of the song "Down to You." So now you've got this like bluesy melodic sort of thing going on. Yeah. Like 
soul, R&B. And now here we get a real good taste of what Gary Moore is all about. Yep. Yeah, you're right. I wouldn't have expected this. I would have expected more like, you know. I love when John does that and, and Zoom cuts off his audio because it thinks it's background noise. <laughs> I mean, maybe it is. That's not a human making those noises anymore. <laughs> And I will confess, I'm not familiar with the original of this, so. I'm assuming it's not nine minutes long. <laughs> no, it's three. Four or five. No, no, it's four oh, or five minutes. Really? Okay. Yeah. I think it's cool what they did with it. And the Neil's bass line there is just great. I was gonna yeah. say, you know, you can you can kind of tell that that's him now. Yep. Yep. It's got a little more of that loose '70s rock feel to it. A little more improvisation than having everything completely spelled out. And if we listen, we should hear the very soulful. We should hear the album title coming soon. There we go. <laughs> taking their album title from the cover song lyrics. I would think Mike Starr's vocals at first, almost sound like it almost sounds like a female vocalist. It's got that very high register. You, you can hear why Lucifer uh, friends uh, picked him up. Yeah. I don't know if he's doing all the backing vocals too. Got a good voice. A really good voice. Oh, Gary Moore is doing backing vocals, so there yeah, you go. Yeah, Gary does some. And then... You've got that, like, Beatles-y guitar plucking out the yeah, chords in the true. background. It's like Octopus's Garden sort of sound.
The maestro takes over on the piano. My favorite part of the song, the instrumental break. (laughs) (laughs) Is that true of every song or just this one? Yeah, uh, well, this one, this one, because it's composed by them. It's it's them adding to it, so... And the way, listen carefully, the way uh, Gary Moore's solo brings back the main melody of the song, it's perfect. interesting when a band does a cover and makes a song so yep. different but still yep their own if they could change tiny little bits of it they could probably just say they wrote it <laughs> but yep. the, you know what I mean but they're still calling it a cover like they don't give themselves any writing credits on this is just a strict Joni Mitchell wrote this And you're like, whoa, I gotta go listen to some Joni Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, you get this album, you don't know anything about Joni Mitchell. Oh, yeah. She, Far she's out, a man. genius. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna get baked and listen to some Joni Mitchell. Just... <laughs> Which, I mean, I'm sure that that sentence has probably been uttered in the 70s. No, I'm sure it happened plenty of times. Don Airy doing his Yan Hammer here. Yeah, huh? Guitar. beautiful that's a nice melody line Gibson feedback uh, sustain note and I definitely need to seek out the original of this and hear it So apparently, um, Gary Moore was a big Joni Mitchell fan. And Heisman said, he says, I get shivers listening to this. We took the melody and did it in different ways. From where the piano comes in, it's all arranged by Don. And we have used Joni's song as a piece of musical theater. Develops in an orchestral way. And I feel lucky to have the musicians who can play this.
has got a really plunky electric piano going on there. I don't know if it's like a really trebly Rhodes or something. Down to you, the Joni Mitchell cover. John, what do you think of that one? Was it down to me? It's down to you, yes. <laughs> um, well, I, I think, um, yeah, I think you you guys were right. I actually, um, yeah, I'm getting into it here, I'll give it a 3.5. All right. Um, I don't know the, you know, like, I think like you, you guys are... Nate, anyways, I don't know the original, but I mean, as a piece of music, if it just like came on, I'm like, this is nice. I thought it was good. Um, I'd like to hear the original to see how much they changed. I mean, I'm sure that whole middle part was uh, was all them. But it, yep, it's non-existent on the original. Yeah. Yeah, well, I say what we should do is listen to the original for a, for a second and see uh i can find Ooh. it hmm why am i not finding it let's see songs down to you i'm finding a brandy kyle carlisle version I don't, I don't think i'm finding the original version live at woodstock oh she did this at woodstock hmm all right. <laughs> That's kind of a bummer. You know, let me check one other source here and I can see if I can get it. I didn't have it uh, up and ready here. Joni Mitchell, down to you. Yeah. And I'll share my audio. Let's take a listen and see um, how this sounds compared to this one. Get moving. And it's an ad for Kohl's. <laughs> very different. Very. This is very, yeah, here we go. <laughs> This is why I try to get all my audio separated and in a special folder before we record. Mm. Dad would have seen her perform this live at Woodstock. Your dad was at Woodstock? He was, yes. Wow. <laughs> would you remember it? Probably not. <laughs> so there you go. It's you know, I could hear I could see the melody line, but Yep. Yeah. Like I was um Like I was saying, you know, you, you, you see, you hear a song like this and wonder, like, what, what could, um, 
What could they have done just by like changing a few things around and saying, yeah, that's our song, we wrote it. Very minor changes, but it's cool. It's cool, and it's good of them to give Joni 100% credit for this song, even though it's probably like maybe 10% what they're I mean, using all of her lyrics, obviously. Uh, but musically, they're, they're taking some melody lines, but not, not taking a ton of other stuff. So, all right. Ian, what do you think of Down to You? Four. Four. All right. I think when a band can take a cover song and make it their own, like they did on this one, with and the added instrumental part and the way uh, Gary brings back the melody, and uh, it's to me, it's nearly perfect too. I told you I'm going to rate this album high. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I really love it. You're keeping true. It took, like I said uh, at the start, it took me a while to get into these kind of soulful, lyrical song. But the, uh, right now I'm, I'm into them uh, big time. <laughs> well, and having that 30 yep. year experience with an album too makes yeah. a big difference too. When you, when you grew up with it and it, it hit you at the right time and yep. um, you know, you listen to it on repeat in a time when you couldn't just stream whatever you wanted that, that, that always, whenever we go back to one of those albums, it's, yep. it's hard not to rank it high. There's um, that too. Yeah. But I'm going to rank this a four as well. I really liked it. Um, I, you know, I think there was that, that intr- instrumental section, but when you, when you tell me, Oh, it's a nine minute cover of a Joni Mitchell song. I'm like, Ooh, that could be dangerous. But when you actually listen to it, <laughs> even with the instrumental break, I mean, it doesn't, it didn't feel particularly long. We've nope. done nine minutes. We've done six minute songs on the show where we're like, Oh my God, is this song still going on? <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. And this is a nine minute that kind of zipped by in my opinion. So, all right. <clears throat> Closing up the first side of the album would be the final song on that side. And that is the song Gemini, Gemini and Leo. Yes. Nice, really dry snare sound in that in that little cowbell. This is the funky disco song. Of the- <laughs> Ooh, a clavinet coming in. Yep. Oh yeah. Yeah, I can tell Nate's really hating this one. Yeah, clavinet, funky bass. I hate that sort of stuff. kind of like a one four five blues blues progression but in the coolest funkiest way right I feel like this is where if they had made one more Mark IV Deep Purple album, this would have been a Glenn Hughes and yes. Tommy Bolin song. Yeah. But they keep saying that it can be done. And it has the organ coming in. A little low in the mix though. It's like if, if this were like a 
Lost Mark Four song. I can just picture like Pace and Lord turning to each other and being like, "Well, I guess we're in Parliament now." Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> funkadelic. <laughs> like, what's even going on anymore? <laughs> Great solo. But wow, what an amazing uh, progression over three songs to just do all this crazy stuff. Yeah, that's it. Yep. I must not have been paying. I do not remember this song, and I, I would remember this, so... Like I said, the kids are probably fighting at this point or something. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this is like almost like. Oh, yeah, that's like a, a bull and Hughes sort of thing right there. Nice little really snarling tone on that bass. <laughs> but they keep saying that it can't be done. Happiness won't last my hand at one. Laughter means I cry. Every day of happiness means one of the three. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised by Mike Stars because from what I read, it sounded like they weren't or I, they, I don't know who they is, but at some point they, they weren't happy with him as a vocalist, but I don't know why. He's, he's really good. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you end the yes. song. Wow. All right. <laughs> I feel like I need a breather after that one. You were smiling all along, mate. I uh, saw you. I couldn't help it. Yes. All right, John, you want to kick it off? What do you think of Gemini and Leo? Oh, I'll give that one a four. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, he knew. He knew. He knew that I was going to go up in my ratings. Yeah. I mean, how could you? <laughs> you would have to. You would have to adjust the other ratings if not. Yeah. I. Yeah. I just think it's so weird that they put Dark Side of the Moog or Moog or whatever we're calling it um, as the first song. I feel like that would have been like a middle or middle of the album type song. But you know, it's 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 whatever. I, I think that. Uh, yeah. This one is more more of my speed here. You have some, uh, you have like some funky, funky riffs going on. I really like how they knew, um, like the guitar solo was great. I mean, 
good mm. Gary Moore stuff, but it was good where they they knew where to 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 put in the stops and where to drop out of certain instruments to kind of give him give him that space to throw those fills in and everything. Uh, it, it's not just. I think that's what makes this interesting is like when you you know we're talking about listening to like a six seven eight ten minute song. Um, that's what makes the difference between one that feels like it lasts forever and one that you said zips right by is that they they know um, they know what notes to play and what not to play. And they know how to arrange a song. They know how to make it interesting. And it was still almost five minutes long, but didn't yeah. didn't feel like it at all. It was a really well, yeah, it's because we were too busy going. Too like busy. This. I mean, how do you not bob <laughs> your head to around? Having um, <laughs> a good time. So yeah, that one was definitely yes, love that one. All right, Ian. Four point five. All right. For two reasons, clavinet mm-hmm. <laughs> and funky cowbell. Yes. Oh yeah. So, and and as you said uh, earlier, Nate, uh, you can tell it's the same band, but it's three total different songs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, it's it's incredible when these kind of band. Well, they're four or five absolute great musicians. So great arrangers. They had experience in other bands before. Mm-hmm. It shows sometimes. Yeah, to go from that I'm incredible side one. <laughs> yeah, crazy thirteen eight time signature jazz fusion song to like a yeah. really melodic folk song, so, like song, a take on a folk uh, yeah, song folk-ish and, to this super and funky then a song. Funk, uh, yeah. And I, yeah, I'll give it a 4.5 as well. And I will add a third reason, which is the funky bass. Just Neil Murray's bass bass is amazing. (laughs) Anytime Clavinet's in a song, you're going to be hard pressed to get an argument from me. And um, yeah, good grooves, good riffs. Uh, Vocals were really good. Um, Yeah. uh, Really, uh, really excited by that one. That's what I'm going to revisit probably immediately after this episode. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, flipping over the uh, Ooh, the disc sick. here, we get into uh, a new song. The first song on the second side of the album, Secret Places. really reminds me of something I can't put my finger on it so Gemini and Leo was a more in Heisman composition as is this one And stop us getting clear. Could we fight against the tide? Is that more? Yeah, second part. Nice. Oh, talk box. Yep. Yeah. Is it on the guitar or is it on the keys? Probably the guitar, I guess. Could you pick 
Wow. <laughs> hey, come on, Heisman and Murray. Wow. Well, it's funny because that they were they were holding that note for so long. I thought right when I thought it was gonna end, they added a third like layer <laughs> and they kept it going. <laughs> <laughs> throwing you off. Wow. I think I figured out what this is reminding me of, but I will. What? It's reminding me of like one of those songs on a, it was the song that Nick really liked off of the third Captain Beyond album. I can't think of the name of it off the Mm. top of my head. I'll get back to you on that. Yeah. While, while John tells us what he thought of that song, I will look it up. Hmm. So, yeah, that was, um, I think that was, that was pretty good. I'll give it, um, I'll give it a three. Um, I like the, um, yeah, the, um, I, I think that it's, um, I, you know, I won't say it's as, uh, as good as Gemini and Leo, um, but, um, but what is definitely, huh? But what is, but makes it, well, we don't know. It's not (laughs) over yet, (laughs) but yeah, this, um, I think this is another good one. I like the, um, yeah, I, I just I, I like I like a lot of the stuff that the guys are doing, um, but it's it's still very much a um, um, like a you can tell it's a virtuoso album. You can tell these guys are all like, yeah, let's throw in as much chops as we can, um, <laughs> but not not in an obnoxious way. Yeah, um, of course. I mean, the, I think that it's got a really good kind of like seventies um, like feel to it, especially like the vocals. Um, cause you, you, I don't know, you don't hear a lot of stuff like that vocally, um, anymore, really. Um, and, and yeah, and of course, like the, the, all the, all the different sounds that they're getting. Um, I, one of the things I'm impressed with is like across the album too, is, is um, um, like 
like Gary Moore, Don Airy. It doesn't seem like they're sticking to like one sound throughout the album. Mm. Yep. Um, or the arrangements. Um, well, yeah, but even like the um, the soundscape. And, yeah. Yeah, like even like oh, you have like like Don Airy's doing clavinet in this song, and his Hammond in this song, and uh, like kind of yeah. Rhodes you know, Fender Rhodes in this song. And it, it's like, you know what I mean? He's not just doing like one, like, oh, okay, he's just going to be on the organ through the whole album. And it's like boring. Yeah, so yeah. that's at least a good thing is there's a lot of variety in these songs. Like you, like you said before, it sounds like the same band, but you're kind of getting like a little different taste of, you know, everything they're experimenting with uh, yeah. sonically as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of cool. All right, Ian. Yep. Can we give 3.75? <laughs> if you want to. We usually... uh, oh, God. <laughs> I feel like it's a four, but not the same, like a lesser four than the four I gave <laughs> earlier. <laughs> but I feel 3.5 is too low. <laughs> hey, we can do 3.75. Um, yeah, it's around 3.75, four. Right. Uh, this one is the rocker of the album. Yeah. I, think. Uh, I love how uh, they brought the talk box, but they did not overuse it. They use mm. it as an arrangement or a soundscape. Mm, like, yes. And, and uh, it, it's low in the mix, and I like that. Uh, again, uh, just the way Heisman drives this song makes me go, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 3.75 for four-ish. <laughs> All right. I'm going to give it a 3.5. I, I liked it a lot. It, and the song it reminded me of was If You Please off of mm. the Dawn Explosion album by Captain Beyond. Not necessarily that it sounded like it, but it was kind of in that style of uh, vocally and the harmonies and stuff like that. So um, that's what I'm I'm thinking of that one. But yeah, I, I like this track. I liked it a lot. Um the whole album it, it and it's so far it's it's a good one really digging it and i and i like the yeah. fact that like what john said not only is every song almost completely different but every all the sounds they're getting are different and there's so so many yeah. albums where it sounds like they all just plugged into their amps and recorded everything in one day and without adjusting any settings or any microphones moving anything around and as there's many great albums that were done that way, you know, the, you know, the first Deep Purple album, the first, well, basically the first album of almost any band is yeah. done that way. Cause you can't afford yeah. anything else. Yeah. Uh, you know, first Black Sabbath album, first Beatles album, first Deep Purple album. But, um, I really enjoy it when they're able to do some more experimental stuff in the studio. And mm. you could have seen if they, if they didn't take the same care that they could have said, no, Don, we can't bring in a, uh, all your synthesizers and the Fender Rhodes and the piano and the Hammond organ. Like, and for all I know, they probably, he probably just had everything set up around him much the way he does with Deep Purple and just switched things as he needed. I, I don't know. And I have a feeling these songs were rehearsed like hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not the, mm. oh, in the studio, what kind of sound can I make with the Moog? Yeah. Well, I think everything yeah. was very thought before going to the studio, mostly at least, I think. Oh, yeah. And it shows in the packaging of it all. I think it shows. Absolutely. Yep. Um, but, it's it, yeah, it's great because... You're, see, you're seeing people that are the masters of their instruments, and I, I don't know what their thoughts were 
of it at the time, but it doesn't seem like, well, the producer probably had a different viewpoint. I, I, I can't imagine the band was like, oh yeah, this is going to be <laughs> like soup. This is going to be stuff you're going to hear on the radio. Like they're, they're doing what they really want to oh, do yeah. and what they love to do. You know, you know, the, Diane Warren wasn't coming in to, 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 you know, work on their choruses. You know, they just did what they did. <laughs> yeah. But the label, they must have been going like, how do we sell this? Yes. What the what the hell is it's, this? How do we? <laughs> there's one funk song, but it's not a funk band. It's there's one rock song. It's not a rock band. It, it's pretty hard to sell, I think. Oh, for sure. It, it, yeah, I had to put them in a tricky situation. Yeah. Um, but that's that's some of my favorite stuff is just people doing what they what they want to do rather than yeah. what's going to sell. So. And the and passion. Like John comes. said, you you open with. Uh, dark side of the moon, but the rest of the album is totally different. Yeah, and it, so you're expecting something that you're not necessarily given, right? So yeah. So some yeah. people are saying, "Ooh, like this, this yeah. I could get into." And then by the second song, like, "Wait, what's going on?" Yeah, that's me. Thirty <laughs> years ago, I was like, "Wow." Yeah, and I only listened to this one and uh, Gemini and Leo for like twenty years of the last thirty years. <laughs> And then there's other people that probably, if they had opened with like something like this, Secret Places, they was, oh, this yeah. is great. And then they go into Dark Side of the Moon and go, oh, what's going <laughs> oh, on? Like, yeah. it's, it's almost impossible to please everybody yeah. with this album. Um, okay, next track up is the penultimate track on Second Thoughts. Nice uh, little stereo effect on that electric piano. that has a kind of an almost sped up quality to the guitar sounds like that <sighs> trying to think of that famous 70s song where the, the the guitar is like sped up in it really fast I'm blanking on it though Like I could hear this being like a really sappy '70s ballad, yep, in the wrong mm. hands. <laughs> but just what Heisman alone is doing, and and Murray too. Yeah, what? is he playing uh, fretless? It sounds like it. Yeah. Fret. Yeah. But like, there's no way what Heisman is doing would have flown on like a, a '70s uh, countdown sort of thing. Don Arena. Thing. 
Another UFO has arrived. Nice. <laughs> nice little synth flourish. thing I've in reading this book on Gary Moore is everyone saying the same thing is that he could just do anything he could play any style yeah. and it reminds me a lot of like Bolin in that regard where he could do the jazz fusion he could do blues yep. he could do rock This reminds me a little of like Ian Gillen band, like Five Moons or something. Just like, all right, I can hear that. Very mellow, but busy at the same time. I keep teasing you like you think it's going to go into this big. <laughs> <laughs> but Neil Murray describes stars as being like um, maybe a little too slick or a little too polished. But I don't know. I'm not really. I'm, I'm really liking what he's doing. Bass mini mode. Really nice dynamics too, just Yep. And we always whenever we get into like seventies albums, we end up talking about that, not to sound like old footy duddies, but you just don't hear dynamics like that in music anymore. Everything's at the same level, compressed at the same same level. level. Yeah. Same tempo, same level. You don't. You don't. I mean, exactly. Like I, I feel like an old fuddy duddy, but it's true. Like you, if you drag one of these <laughs> wave files into your 
sound editor and look at the yep. waveform versus something that was recorded within the last 10 years. It's You can tell just by looking at it. All right, settle down, fuddy-duddy. <laughs> Can't tell if I'm more of a fuddy-duddy or more of a like nerd for doing that. But. Or fiddle-faddle. Or fiddle-faddle. <laughs> hmm, that was delicious. Fiddle-faddles? You won't hear it because the song is going to stop, but it's it, it segues into the last song. Yes. You know something's coming. <laughs> yep. Wow. All right, John. On second thoughts. Mm. Um. Uh, well, wait a minute. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I'll, yeah. No. Mm. I'll give it a three. <laughs> a lot of deliberation over there. <laughs> fair, John. Fair. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I would say like my, I don't, I don't see myself giving anything like below a three, I think would be a baseline for this just because of the musicianship. Mm -hmm. Even if I didn't think it was the most interesting song, this one, I really, um, I didn't have anything that I kind of latched onto, but I mean, you know, I just kind of found myself getting uh, lost in the atmosphere of the, Mm. of the music. But if you told me, just hum back or tell me what you just listened to. I, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think that's the nature of some, yeah, this, this style of music sometimes. Yeah. And I think just the nature of albums in the seventies in general is just, you. yeah, I, I think people consumed music in a much different way. And in some, mm-hmm. in some cases we still do, but with attention spans being what they are now. And I'm not just saying, younger people I, i'm the same way my attention span is nothing compared to what it used to be you're all right funny <laughs> i was going to say um but um you know in the in the 70s when you were putting this album on and smoking a doob or whatever you were doing yeah <laughs> you weren't um you know you weren't looking at your phone or watching tv at the same time yep. or doing whatever you were just you had the album and the and the album Cover the, art the cover and art the, and the, the liner and notes the, yeah. and you just th- this was your entertainment maybe, maybe you'd be hanging out with your friends or you'd be playing cards or something but there was there wasn't so much other things going on and could yeah. you imagine that though like back then like looking at your phone they're just like staring at a rotary phone like <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can't imagine it if you smoke a couple of dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the way it goes around. The zero Dude. goes all the way around. Oh. Oh. It, which one's your favorite? I don't know. I like zero because it really goes around for a long time. <laughs> uh, Ian, what do you think about this one? This one is a 3.5. This is the least interesting song, I think, of the album. I mm. think they did they did it better on Down to You. The mm-hmm. same kind of slow tempo and the instrumental break is better on uh, Down to You, I think. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, although I like uh, what uh, Doug brings to this uh, with the little move flourishes and the bass move. But yeah, this is my least uh, favorite song of the album. So 3.5. Yeah. Okay. I will give this one a three down, as well. Down to You was better, I think, in the same kind of style of yeah. ballad, ballady, uh, yeah, I think. I would agree with that. Uh, I forgot to mention, too, this one was written solo by Moore. Um, but yeah, I give that one a three. I think it's good. I think it's a good, in a context of an album, and based on what I heard at the end of the song, what it's leading up to, I'm expecting yeah. something a little different with this one. Um as we kick off the final track on the album, and that one is called Winds. And this is the longest track on the album. I'll listen to that. He's got to be playing a double bass drum. I'm getting a lot of little phrases and things that are really giving me a Zappa vibe on some of these songs. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, listen to this. Oh, even melodically, this is very Zappa. This could be on Overnight Sensation. Have you got uh, Have you got the new box set of uh, Overnight, I made? No, is there a new one? No. Okay. I'm going to have to get that. The deafest ears is false of bell, the tolling in the belfry. The loudest tongue is his whose ear is untrue to what's likely. Thus the knowing spark is fanned into the mindless flame. It's kind of got like a Getty Lee vibe going on the vocals on this one. You know, I was going to say that on one of the earlier songs. Yep. He's kind really? of getting into that territory a little bit. A little bit. I didn't, Whoa, okay. I didn't pick up on it until this one, but I, I believe you. Our head and fills our 
This song's kind of out there, huh? Yep. I used to really not care for that really, really dry drum sound. But now I, I love it in the context of something like this. Yeah, I mean, I think it works. Um, certain albums, certain songs, eras. And ten years later, the drum sound, you'd, you'd hit the snare and you could drive home and the reverb would still be going by the time you got home. <laughs> but I mean, personally, I've only heard drum sounds like this on the other Deep Purple related um, jazz albums that we've listened to, like Billy Cobham and mm-hmm. Alphonse Musson. And yeah. So it doesn't really, doesn't sound unusual to me in this context. I mean, it would have to be with so much, even with just the drums, how busy everything is. If you had a really long sustain or reverb on any of those drums, it would totally muffle or muddle whatever was being played. I'm like trying to count along to see what time signature is in, but it's like completely. I was trying to, and I get this. Completely one. useless. Yeah. <laughs> it could be. You could tell me it's in <laughs> any time signature, and I'd believe you. It's in 1632. Okay, well, 60. That would actually be really easy. <laughs> it's in 157. Oh, okay, sure. I can't remember if we were Love this. If if Oh nice. I can't remember if we were talking about before we started recording or after, but like how there'd be an album you've heard four hundred times, but it was just this one little thing for them, you know? And in John in um Gary Moore's biography, this is only like a few pages on this album. Like maybe five, six pages. Out of, in a, Does he go into details uh on the other two albums? Um, I haven't gotten there yet. Oh, okay. Oh, but I just did open it up randomly to Roger Glover. Okay, okay. Saying he was truly one of the great guitarists, had a huge talent, and was a musical force beyond par. Eric Singer, John. Neil Murray. Yeah. The, oh, the so the clips, the, there's a few a few quotes on the back of the book, but the last like pages of the book are like 30 pages of just famous people saying how great he was. Wow. Ozzy, Glenn Hughes, Kirk Hammett, Vivian Campbell, Paul Rogers, Neil Murray, Eric Singer. Wow. Just goes on and on. And when everything I read about him was that he was really anxious and filled with anxiety and 
you know, he would deal with it by drinking, you know? Yeah. As most of us do. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> hey But it's, it's a shame when you got somebody with so much talent that doesn't that lacks that confidence, you know? Like, if you can play like this, you should be pretty confident. anybody out there that would take a chance on an album like this nowadays i mean there's people no. that nowadays no there's people that no. do albums like this but you these guys were the guys oh, you know, these were the labels. rock guys that were around they weren't just some like i'm sure there's some small unknown band out there doing something like yeah. this but i'm trying to think of the who the equivalents of gary moore and don airy and stuff would be today that would take a chance on something like this. Mm. I mean, for the most part, these legacy bands don't even take a chance on playing some of their lesser-known songs, never mind <laughs> branching out like this. That build. No, don't fade it. No. <laughs> it's like you're you're there, you're there, and then oh no. <laughs> Is that the, that might be the only song they faded on the album, huh? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I wonder. I mean well it said it was recorded in you know between August and I forgot what I said earlier, but yeah, I mean they, they must have had a decent amount of studio time. But it sounds like one of those albums that could have been done in a, you know, a sh I, I mean, I, I'm sure they spent a lot of the time in the studio working on the arrangements and such. But anyway, John, what do you think of Winds? Well, I think um, I think that's blowing a three right there. <laughs> blowing <a> three. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was um, it was another uh, kind of. Uh, kind of an ambiance song, mm. I, I think. Um, uh, I really was just kind of into into just uh, kind of listening to not necessarily what was going on, but just that it was in the background, that it was uh, uh, just kind of a pleasant distraction. But, um, you know, it was just, it was just kind of, this one felt long. Did you wish you were smoking a doobie while you are listening to it? Yeah. <laughs> That's convincing. <laughs> or maybe these days, like, popping an edible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or eating some popcorn. 
<laughs> yeah, just uh, you know, having to pop in some gummies. Yeah, that's a, my my dad chat that I'm on. Everyone's always like, "Ah, oh, I took a gummy so I could get to bed." Everyone's eating gummies all the time. <laughs> I need a gummy to get to bed. I can just like fall asleep anyway. I know I that's what I don't now. understand. Like, <laughs> like I took 87 milligrams of melatonin and popped a gummy, and I can't get to sleep. I'm like, I could get to. Sl- I mean. I sometimes fall asleep in between sentences when I'm talking to Jen. I'm just like, we're talking and just like, I'm out. No problems falling asleep. I've fallen asleep during a meeting at work. <laughs> you know, I'm just like this. And then all of a sudden they look over and I'm just like, <laughs> like, geez, bored much? No. Yes. It's easy. It's easy. <laughs> all right, Ian, what do you think about wins? Uh, wins, wins, wins. What do I think about it? I think this kind of music sometimes does not warrant a singer. Mm. I think this mm. this track is an example of that. I think that if it would have been instrumental, like the first one, mm. would have been a better bookend for the album. Mm. Would have felt kind of, I don't know, you know, first one, instrumental, last one. And and it's kind of, and it sounds like the first uh, a little bit more driven and uh and the fate at the end is my god sacrilegious <laughs> yeah we could tell oh, you're like you're like and it's a quick <laughs> for a 10 minute song that's a quick fade yeah. too they faded yeah. over like 10 seconds so, after 10 minutes you know so 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 i think i have to go with the 3.5 for this one it would have been a four without lyrics all right. I'll give it a three, too. I think you put, uh, I hadn't con- really thought about it until you said it, but the, the, I, I wasn't digging the, the vocals where I think his vocals yeah. were really strong in all the other songs. Um, and I think it's because the melody, it was just, it was there to be there. It didn't, it didn't feel like it was adding yep. anything. And the, the, and it wasn't terribly melodic. And if you re listen to it, uh, you can hear that uh, Moore does what he does with his voice on the guitar sometimes. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of doubling the melody on the guitar. So we forget the lyrics and just put Gary and leading kind of the voice of, of the song. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that would have been, like you said, yeah. a great bookend to the album if they kept it instrumental. But, um, but, but all in all, uh, say a pretty enjoyable album i really uh yes like listening to that one um but at this point in the episode is where we uh thank our foundation level patrons and while we do that um while john busts out the spreadsheet i will thank those patrons for their Don't forget to share the audio support and not forgetting the audio <laughs> for once um but coming in at the $3.50 deep purple New York tier, we have Lord Longford. At the three pound aromatic feed tier, Simon Ford and Richard Brees. At the $3.33 halfway to evil tier, we have Stephen Sharp and Duncan Leesk. At the $3 nobody's perfect tier, we have Peter Gardot. 
the one and only Ian DeRosier, who is here presently, and one of our oldest patrons, I would say. Not that you're the oldest, but one of our <laughs> longest-serving patrons. There we go, there we go. Do you have the frog sound for me? Can you have the frog sound for me next time? Oh, absolutely. I will do <laughs> Thank that. You. Thank that. you. I don't have a frog sound handy, but I will get one. <laughs> the frog frog. <laughs> I needed to yes. have like a frog that's doing like a really intricate, like is is ribbiting a really intricate like arpeggio or something. <laughs> um, I'm going to do a, uh, you know, I, that gave me an idea. Yep. I, I got, I got it ready for next episode. You're going to have to listen. Oof. Yes. <laughs> um, then we also have the one and only Mark Roback. Stuart McCord. Then we have, of course, the one and only Ivan Fieldboo. Runar Siemensen. JJ Stenard. Ruinous inadequacies. And John Maselli. And my bowling trophy, huh? The city's gonna have to condemn this. Unsafe due to victory. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Boyette and Corey Morissette. At the $1.71 I want my own tier tier, we have. At the 10 kroner tier, we have Karsten Lau. And at the $1 made-up name tier, we have the down-to-you-in-secret-places Leaky Mausoleum, Stephen Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic, Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel, (laughs) Blackmore Tights, Steve Down-to-Earth Kohler, Zwopper the Electric Alchemist, Anders Engstrom, Ashley, still I hear Burn Rose and ICDC. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. All right, folks, it is that time. Let's hear what we got. Let's. All right, John, how does Coliseum 2, Strange New Flesh, rank in our overall album rankings? Hmm, So in our overall album rankings, we have a, um, well, let me see. I'll start with us. Combined, uh, just um, our rating, 6.92, which uh, uh, puts it, um, it's um, right there, um, right the same rating as whoosh. Oh, tied with whoosh. Yep, tied with whoosh and above James Gang, Miami. All right. So um, it's it's in the uh, it's in the lower, you know, the lower I would say, uh, yeah, third, uh, or actually even lower quarter of of the overall ratings. But, the top um, of the lower quarter. Yeah, and I also don't see the guest writing didn't pop oh, up in here. You know what? I think I can fix that through through a little spreadsheet magic. Boom. Ah, uh, that hey, didn't work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right again. Boom. Why did that not work? Oh, it's because it was for the wrong one. Here we go. Yeah, it's for the wrong There cell. we go. Okay. Hey, oh, there we go. 
All right, so let me see. So our, for our combined, all of our combined ratings, it's a 10.88. So uh, let me see. Um, yeah, I, you know, I guess no surprises here. My ratings were lowest. Yours were in the mid. Ian rated it the highest. All right. But not... Uh, let me see. Oops. And let's see, just for, just for poops and giggles... <laughs> Let's see, where's our, uh... oh, <laughs> I see you. Yeah, I'm, I'm cutting and pasting on the fly here. So, so yeah, Ian rank, <laughs> ranked it a little higher than me. Yeah, just a little bit. But not by much. Um, yes. And, um, yes, and, the, and I mean, just for, yeah, like I said, just for shits and giggles here, um, it's, it's, you know, we're in the, say, the bottom, bottom third of the, Combined guest ratings as well. Yeah, top of the bottom. Actually, it's more like almost top of the middle. Eh, yeah. Well, no. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. No. I mean, you know what? That doesn't really matter though, because we have like we have like a handful of um, of guest ratings. So I mean, that doesn't really. They're all different. You know, very different albums, but and as we've said before, um, these are all Deep Purple related albums. So if we were ranking this against non Deep Purple related albums, yeah, it would, it would probably stack much higher. But yeah. a very, but I mean, interesting. I'm not, not surprised that Ian rated it the highest because we know he loves this album. Yes, and three, three, uh, thirty years of uh, of listening pleasure. Yes, but yeah, I, I would say that's a. Uh, it was very enjoyable album to listen to, and um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting because even though there might be stuff that might not be your cup of tea, you just don't you don't see albums like this or hear albums like this being released anymore. It's it's a, a product no. of its time and something you're you're not gonna really see again. Do they even they don't do jazz fusion in this way anymore. It's 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 so, it's such a product of its time. Yep. Um, but just a few quick things. The album was released in April of 1976. Did not chart. Not surprising. Um, a few things. Chris Welch called the album an imaginative and exuberant debut. Um, but Gary and John were not thrilled with the album. They referred to it as a studio performance and called it dead. So they said it had a dead sound to it. And I think, mm. you know, they were, uh, you know, when we look at their live performances and kind of like what we did on the on our Don Airy episode, you hear them live and you say, okay, this is amazing what they're doing live. So I think they were probably looking for that kind of sound, but maybe unable to duplicate it in the studio. But um, yeah, that's it, folks. That's uh, Strange New Flesh. Um, really, uh, I had a blast uh, listening to that. And Ian uh, had a blast talking to you. Yes. Um, what, same um, here, same here. You'll have to come back for our next Coliseum 2 episode. Mm. Yes. At this yeah. rate, I have no yeah, idea when that's going to be, but we will. We'll, yeah. Luckily, we're always yeah. in touch. Um, yeah, where it's can, always interesting. Where can people yeah. find the Prague Frog these days? Oh, I don't have any podcast or thing to... Uh, <laughs> To sell. I've been telling you for years that so, you should because during so one of the cool things that was during the the lockdown when COVID first hit, yeah. Ian was doing these great. You had all these like crates of records. Where did you get yeah, them? I had I had a cousin who just gave me his old collection. Oh, okay. And they were in boxes uh, just right beside my desk. So, 
So uh, you would just the randomly big, like big one, yeah. pull an album out, and then if yeah. it was no good, you'd throw it in the trash can. <laughs> and if it was good, you'd be like, oh, this yeah. is a great one. And it was really cool because yeah. you'd do like three of these albums yeah, every I little video. Like, and yeah. That that could have been its own show. I, I loved watching those. <laughs> well, watching those yeah. albums sail across the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm on Zwitter. <laughs> Zwitter. as the Prog Frog. Ian, same thing on Blue Sky. That's right. But uh, outside of that, I'm, I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't have anything to. I don't do podcast yet. I don't do radio show yet. I don't do. You're a do- I should, you're, but I don't. You're a double threat. <laughs> you could do an English language or French language. Uh... I could. Well, it's something that I'm thinking about, but uh, don't do it. <laughs> well, if you do the well, English language know, one, the, I'd love to be a guest. The French one, I, I don't think I'd be a very good guest. But. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm always maybe a little bit too conscious because I'm like, yeah, people will hear me mumble and jumble in English. And oh, pff, yeah. You can tell that it's it's not my first language so yeah i love so that I'm there's that kind um, of afraid of ah, what, what will they say will i sound okay you sound great you sound better than we do because you've got a cool <laughs> french accent like there's that meme that goes around i don't know if you've seen it but there's Quebec like a, what's that Quebecois. Quebecois, of course yes. <laughs> i don't say uh, thank you uh, <laughs> the, the Coliseum de. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a meme that's that's that goes around where it's like um, someone is texting um, somebody and they're like, "Oh, I really apologize for the state of my English is not 100 percent, and I apologize that it might be very difficult to understand the things that I am trying to enunciate." And like the the English speaking <laughs> person just texts back is like. LOL, it okay. <laughs> that's, it's always like somebody that's like uh, speaks flawless English with a slight accent that, that is uh, self-conscious when these all these dopes yeah. speaking English that can, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's you also a Brian Regan band. It's like, I, I speak enough English to get by. <laughs> but that's it. You know what that makes me think of? The Nye Mets are my favorite squadron. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, Ian, it's blast yeah. having you on. Well, I don't man. have anything yet to. Uh, well, you, to will, you will, you will I soon. And if I there's any French language folks out tonight. there, keep an eye on this guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, we appreciate it. It's great talking to you. And next time we do Coliseum too, we're gonna have to yeah to have you on or any other one you might. I any, don't know. Uh, you any might other maybe think that. Uh, well, not necessarily. But I, I'm prog frog because it's cool sounding. <laughs> I can do some, but I can do some hard rock, some jazz rock, some That's true. psych rock, some. But yeah, I'm specialized in prog, but I'm not just prog. <laughs> but you you turned me on to a lot of cool stuff like that. Um, yeah. um, what was the other one? Uh, Gentle Giant. Lucifer's yes. Friend, Gentle Giant, all these yes. bands I'd never even heard of. And, um, you know, I got See, to... Lucifer's Friend is not mm, very prog in the sense that it's prog because it's 1970 and nobody has done this before. But, you know, it's not Gentle Giant. It's not Coliseum. It's mm-hmm. it's hard rock. It's heavy rock. So. Yeah, it's yeah. almost like more like um like I kind of do more, this one. It's more like rainbow, you know, like like kind of like this it's yeah. kind of like wizard rock, <laughs> if that's a thing. Yeah. You know, it's very like what dungeon. will you do with the first Lucifer's friend where it's too outside because of John Lawton only with uh with the butterfly ball and yep. 
It's good stuff. Oh. Mm. All right. Well, thank you everybody you for listening it, to our me. to our first, <laughs> to our first episode of the year. We'll be back at you with another one <laughs> next week. And thank you to Ian for joining us. Happy New Year's, guys! Yes. Happy New Year, and we'll see you all. Yeah, you too. Next right. week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. I feel like we're we're old friends and we're countrymen, basically. Yes. Yeah. It's that it's kind of two frogs and uh, an Italian. <laughs> <laughs> I may be homely, Buster, but I'm S M A R T.